Welcome to the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations Events Podcast, where we bring you the audio from our public programs, featuring in-depth analysis of topics on China from scholars, journalists, authors, and policymakers. For more interviews, videos, and links to events like this one, visit us at www.ncuscr.org. Good afternoon, everyone. I am Tom Moore, Senior Advisor of the National Committee, and we are so glad you could join us for today's program entitled Our Shared Technological Future, Smart Cities in the United States and China. Today's program is the second in a two-part series dealing with technological innovation. The first program, held on March 22, discussed the development of autonomous vehicles in our two countries. You can find a recording of that program on our website. In that last program, we learned from technolo how technology is changing the way we drive. Today, we will see how technology is improving our urban environment and the way services are delivered. To discuss this exciting topic, we have three terrific speakers. Zheng Zhentan from the MIT Department of Urban Studies and Planning, Sarah Tatsis of BlackBerry, and Weiping Wu from Columbia University's Graduate School of Architecture, Planning, and Preservation. Their bios are on our website and posted in the chat function, so I will not repeat them here. If you have any questions, please put them in the Q&A function. Before we begin, I would like to thank BlackBerry for its generous sponsorship of this series. Now let me turn this over to Wei Ping, who will discuss what smart cities are and introduce our two other speakers. Wei Ping. Thank you, Tom. And uh, so I'm Wei Ping Wu again at Columbia University. Um, so smart cities can be defined in multiple ways. And generally, you know, when we refer to the concept, it refers to the use of digital technology and data to improve operations across a city, such as improve service delivery and urban infrastructure. This involves the introduction of new medium, uh, including online platforms, apps, and sensors that integrate the physical environment with a virtual layer of the city. Smart city applications commonly use technological and algorithmic strategies to optimize various indices of performance and management. So think about these examples, right? New mobility modes, such as bike share or scooter share, autonomous transport and systems, uh, which was discussed in a previous national committee panel, net zero distribution of waste and water systems, and improved response to citizens through e-governance. And you know, many of us have used smart technology in our household, just imagine it uh, at a much larger scale. So today, technology has been at the core of smart city applications and large tech firms are important players. On the US side, for example, IBM, Google, Cisco, uh, etc. And on the Chinese side, think Alibaba, Baidu, Tencent, uh, and others, right? So for Chinese cities, the public sector, i.e. the government, is a very enthusiastic promoter of smart cities. Through So although political power remains centralized, China is highly decentralized in physical resources and expenditure uh, responsibilities. So we're seeing smart city projects really have become a key focus of planning for the future of cities with fierce intercity competition in China. As scholars have predicted, uh, while smart city ideas originated in the West, rapid development of AI or artificial intelligence platforms uh, such as Alibaba's city brain makes it likely that core technologies will come from China. This clearly points to the limit of Eurocentric urbanism research and scholarship. Smart urbanism furthermore has its critiques, right? For instance, for being overly deterministic and top-down in orientation. Uh, decreeing forms of algorithmic governance to manage diverse population groups. So I'm not really an expert on the subject, so I'm just really pleased to introduce our two speakers today, 
uh, Zhengzhen Tan from MIT Department of Urban Study and Planning and Sarah Tatisis of Blackberry. So Zhengzhen will discuss smart city projects in China focusing on key stakeholders, players, business models, and ecosystems, followed by Sarah outlining smart city development in North America and helping us understand the security and privacy pros and cons of smart cities. Then we will transition into a moderated discussion among the panelists before we open up to questions from the audience. So now, uh, Zheng Zheng. Thank you, Weiping, for the introduction. Really glad to be here. So we know nations around the world are already in a race to modernize our urban infrastructure system. Countries like Japan, Singapore, US, China, Netherlands, India, and Spain have all launched their national policy and the smart city initiative of the past years. This is the reason why countries see this as a strategic policy for their city is because the smart city is a way to generate new innovative product, create new firms, new skilled jobs, and most important all, to improve the urban environment. As we know, city nowadays are competing with each other to attract the best talent, the best firms to thrive and prosper economically, socially, and culturally. So China is in no exception for that. China's smart city initiative has started as early as 2010. It started back then as initiative by Ministry of Housing and Urban Rural Development. And over the years, it become a national uh, priority. In 2017, the CPP report has identified digital China and smart society as the national level development strategy. Over the past 10 years, we come to learn that the to sustain the continuous upgrading of those digital infrastructure on top of the initial huge expensive capital expenses in building such system, the private sector's participation is really critical besides the technology advancement and uh, government policy support. We see in the past 10 years, the, the, the key stakeholders, players, business model and the whole ecosystem has been evolving very rapidly and uh, dynamically. In the early days, the key players of smart city initiative are mainly traditional ICT, IT electronic companies, big state owned enterprise, we call them SOEs. Their business model is an IT engineering project based or the sale of the hardware. Later, the digital giants like Alibaba, Tencent, JD.com, and Baidu has entered the smart city sector as they need to seek their next growth point and smart city become a very natural uh, target for those uh, technology firms. And more recently, we see AI unicorns such like SenseTime, Megavive, Cloudwalk, E2, they have been engaging very actively in all sorts of application scenario in government services like security and uh, law enforcement, as well as uh, city managers to, to manage the, 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 the city system. So over the years, we see the evolving stakeholder, more and more stakeholder coming into this ecosystem. And we see a clear three layer of this, um, uh, of this sector, like the infrastructure layer. We see the operation layer and also application layer with many startups are uh, active in this uh, area. We also, another trend we see is that uh, is that thanks to the technology advancement, the, the priority area has been shifted from an infrastructure focused kind of mindset to a human centered mindset as we receive criticism both in academic and industrial world about what's the point of a smart city if it doesn't really generate a user value. So we see that the uh, key stakeholder or key player, they are generating the true value proposition for human, for citizens, uh, in a, uh, also in a way to develop to to develop a new 
a business model to sustain their operation. Uh, so I, I, in talking about the high-profile smart city project, is probably in China is probably Xiong'an New City. The Xiong'an New City is a very special in terms of it's not just a technology or conventional smart city approach, but it was building a new city in a blank, uh, uh, in, in a scratch. So in a way, they can approach the smart city in a very holistic way. Holistic meaning thinking about the design for the smart city, right? It's not just a, a business model, but also there's institution design, how we design the government, the public service, and the legal framework, how to trade off the intrinsic uh, trade-off that every smart city has between the efficiency and the privacy, and also at different scale of smart city. Just now we've mentioned from the city infrastructure to the home, right? Different scale, the neighborhood, the building scale, the city scale, the neighborhood scale. So I feel uh, there's a lot of exciting uh, experiment in policy, in business model, and in the legal framework that has been uh, currently testing out in Xiong'an. It's still too early to uh, to know the result as it's only been like four years. They launched in 2017. And for a project of that scale, will probably take at least 10 to 20 years to, to see it's a full, uh, full, full, full rotation. But we already see that the key stakeholder, like the government sector and the private sector has been approaching that smart city in a very uh, unconventional way. So I will say it's, uh, and they encourage the private sector participation, whether it's a big firm or small firm by actively building an ecosystem. So yeah, so that's my overview. Thank you. Thank you, Jingjin. Um, now we turn to Sarah. Thank you, Wei Ping. Yeah, um, sometimes I guess when people are talking about smart cities, uh, it does seem really abstract and there's lots of different applications. Um, I think it isn't abstract though. There's very much uh, many smart city projects already that you likely have already unknowingly had your data or your information or the information of the car that you're traveling in being sent up into the cloud to be analyzed for future use. So as an example, right, we've all used Google Maps. You may have received a detour uh, information there based on information that's flowing into traffic cameras and saying, hey, you may want to take a different route so you make it there on time. That's an example of uh, the type of service um, and it's kind of hidden. So when people are thinking, oh, why do we need smart cities? It's really enhancement of service within a city that we're trying to get at. And the, the key trend here is that, you know, by 2030, about 60% of the world's population is going to live in these urban environments. And the smart cities really are really there to um, create an opportunity and, and also solve the challenges of having so many people flooding into these urban environments. And a smart city itself, all you really need to, to, to be able to think about this is you have end, various endpoints that are connected by, uh, and sending data into a cloud to be analyzed and then some amount of action is being taken on them. And, um, you know, so it's as simple as that. Sounds very simple now that I say it, complex to actually implement. And that's what we're seeing kind of across, across the uh, globe, actually. Um, you know, talking a little bit more around smart cities in North America, you know, there's, there's I would say in North America, what we're seeing is a lot of smart city initiatives um, being driven by various objectives, but uh, there's some central themes in those objectives. And a lot of it comes down to things related to energy. Um, and that specifically is transportation and probably more so transportation in North America than in other regions. Um, and also uh, around like CO2 emission reduction um, energy consumption reduction, but there's other reasons for projects uh, out there as well. So, you know, uh, other key things around e-governance and buildings, uh, smart buildings, uh, water security, 
Um, but here in North America, we do have very strong logistics and transportation industries. So a lot of smart city initiatives are being built up related to things like solving for vehicle congestion uh, within the urban environment, also trans public transport and others. And those projects are mainly being driven by public and private partnership. Um, I think probably more so private partnership than in other parts of the world, at least in the US. Um, and I think there's also now we're starting to see the last couple of years a little bit more social. Uh, so social organizations as well starting to get involved. And I know Wei Ping, we may talk about this a little bit later, but around, you know, how do we make, make these environments inclusive? Um, and so, yeah, so in terms of what's happening in North America, it's America we're seeing a lot of that. Um, and maybe just to break down, because smart cities is such a big, broad grouping of applications, let's say. So, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about what's all involved in the smart city. So again, if we just go back to, we have a whole bunch of IoT endpoints. And in fact, we're going to have something like 50 billion IoT endpoints by the end of 2025 globally. Um, you know, so we've got endpoints that are sensing things. So you're essentially collecting data. Then they need to communicate. So we got the communications platforms involved here when we talk about, okay, 5G is coming in and Wi-Fi platforms and uh, mobile platforms. Then we've got a, a lot of software and services being built on top as well. So we get into all this data needs to flow into a cloud and then there's software and services that does everything from monitoring that data to data management on top of it. There's cybersecurity involved. There's AI, machine learning, privacy tools, visualization tools, a lot of various tools for very uh, complex kind of data management happening. And then we're starting to see different platforms emerge. And those platforms are kind of emerging, I'd say in four different verticals. Um, you know, One is around smart utilities. And that's got a whole bunch of applications around things like, you know, um, like smart utilities. So things like, you know, gas and, and water meter usage and um, again, like grid asset management, all of that. Then we have more like smart citizen uh, services coming in where we have like telehealth. Uh, we've got things like physical security, as part of this um, smart street light lighting, there's quite a, quite a bit of different applications there. And then I'd say a fourth vertical would be in the smart building space. So where we get into like parking management, we get into maintenance of buildings, we get into energy consumption, smart lighting. And then on top of all that, we also have, and I know in the previous session, we talked a little bit about autonomous vehicles, but that would be as well as part of a, a let's say that fourth platform around smart transportation. So things like advanced like driver assistance functions that taking data from other sensors outside of the vehicle, as well as the connected vehicle space. Um, we're adding in here like vehicle telematics and fleet management happening, um, mobility management of uh, like public fleets as well. So you know, just try to give everybody a little bit of an understanding of the breadth of type of applications that we're seeing in smart cities. Um, I think the, you know, and, the, and I could point to a couple of different smart cities that are doing really interesting things here. But again, the objectives are slightly different per, per city. And we are seeing city, uh, very city specific implementations, which is also creating some complexity in terms of interoperability between uh, between different cities and and you know as people move throughout the uh, throughout the U.S. Um, but you know we we see the New York, for instance, very very specifically looking at putting in very clear data standards. They're very focused on um, smart sustainability. Um, they have a really strong vision for transportation. So that's really where New York is going. San Francisco has a little bit more around this water waste building. Um, they're also in that eco-friendly, you know, smart mobility applications when they're developing um, smart city projects. 
In Boston, we've got things that are a little bit more around civic engagement, and they've got some really great like app showcases and how do you how can they use um, all of this digital infrastructure for uh, more like e-governance. So we're seeing quite a breadth of smart city projects in, in uh, the US, and it also is very much based on the city priorities at the time. But overall, a lot of what we're seeing here is multiple objectives, quite a bit of complexity in terms of, uh, of um, uh, technology and uh, solution providers as well. Um, just, just because, well, BlackBerry's got a unique perspective because we're very much a cybersecurity company. So when you have endpoints and they're communicating and then that info is going into data stores that then people are making decisions on and sometimes they're automated decisions and sometimes they're using them to augment decisions. We are very much focused on the cybersecurity side of that. Um, so in terms of even the existing endpoints out there, I, I think I mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, that 40 billion mark for connected IoT devices, we're seeing this huge expansion of uh, an attack surface from a cybersecurity perspective. And so, you know, not only expanding in terms of number of endpoints, but also complexity of endpoints. So if you add in a connected vehicle, for instance, there can be a hundred million lines of code in that vehicle. And so making sure that that now as it's connected to the internet stays secure is, is something that we wanna make sure happens because it's not just about theft of data, but also potentially safety issues and other issues. Um, so, we have an expanding tax surface. We also have expanding threat. And what I mean by that is the scale of cyber attacks is actually increasing at the same time, uh, not maybe, and maybe even at a faster rate than the endpoints are. So um, if we just take an example just from the um, just from the laptop side of things or the, you know, the, the traditional mobile device side we're seeing about 100 million new pieces of malware every year being developed. So, you know, a billion pieces of malware out there, you know, un, unwanted pieces of uh, uh, essentially cyber attack uh, worthy malware um, being perpetrated out there. And now we wanna connect even more things into this environment. Um, some of the other things is because the, the because and I think I outlined a little bit how complex the system could be um, because of that that complexity there is a lot of also complexity in terms of being able to manage all the potential alerts that the system is giving around um, is the data uh, and is the system safe secure um, and then there's some other trends too that are quite worrisome on the cybersecurity side around the lack of cybersecurity talent out there. There's about 4 million open cybersecurity roles globally. So, you know, we're connecting all of these things to, uh, to um, make our lives better um, as part of these smart city initiatives. And we need to ensure that, that they are therefore uh, secure so that we don't inadvertently either um, create privacy issues because you can't have you can't have privacy if the data that or, or the system that your information is flowing through is not secure. Um, so you know we see cybersecurity as like a key baseline for the need for privacy um, in addition to things like regulations and other things around data. Um, and then also because the systems eventually can be automated in a way, what we can see is even greater threat. So not just stealing of data or stealing of IP from companies or from cities, we could see people maybe taking intended, um, unintended actions. So for instance, think here about like a, a, cut, a connected vehicle that's part of a, of a, a city fleet you know, if somebody were able to hack in and take some kind of automated action in that, it's obviously a lot bigger threat than the stealing of information from a smartphone, for instance. So um, hopefully, Wei Ping, I didn't scare people too much in there, but I, 
I wanted to, to bring some of that cybersecurity and privacy view as well in terms of what we're, what we're thinking about at BlackBerry. Thank you, Sarah. Um, both of you really have raised lots of questions in my mind. So I'm going to start asking some questions so um, uh, both of you and um, so we can have a you know, more in-depth discussion. Uh, maybe I can go to Zhengzhen first because Sarah has outlined how cities in North America are taking somewhat different approaches, right, to smart cities and their um, kind of orientation. Could you also uh, help us understand a little bit in Chinese cities? Are we seeing uh, similar kinds of approach that is uh, cities pursue uh, smart city projects or applications, um, you know, sort of with their own focus and orientation in mind? Yeah, so we always say city is a very complicated social technical system. In terms of technology, I feel it's a lot of similarity. Like we have infrastructure, right? We have hardware provider, we have a platform who is the operation system like the software and we have application uh, that's various. And at the application level, in a way, it's a similar as how Sarah described, different city has different priorities, same as Chinese city. If you look at the Yangtze River cities versus Pearl River data area cities and versus Jinjingji and all Western China, they all have very different priority in terms of their economic development and also cultural, right? Uh, Chinese has a vast disparity in terms of its uh, uh, regional development. So I, we, we definitely see that, for example, digital Shanghai versus digital Beijing, they, they definitely has a, a lot of different priority. In Shanghai, we talk about like very uh, nuanced and detailed city management system. They developed this smart app for city managers to monitor all the, the construction site doing under their jurisdiction so they can clearly monitor the waste uh, the, the waste treatment, like the pollution, and also the vehicle, the people inside and out, this uh, construction site every day. Uh, so that's that. And also in application, for example, in Pearl River data area, I see many My River apps that is in a way to, ref, uh, to react to the central government, say by 2040, there's no black uh, river. Uh, the major river system in China, so that become the uh, the that become the responsibility of mayor. We call the river chief He Zhang. So we see this uh, a great amazing uh, GIS plus drone plus autonomous boat and IoT system helping the mayors to monitor the pollution source of the water and uh, take actions. All right, so, uh, and the, for the application, I feel it's just endless to, to list them all because I see smart city kind of the platform that we provide is kind of like the smartphone we have in hand and there's Apple store, there can be millions of application. I, I think that it's not, we won't be able to list a, a, a finite number of application at all. It's just, uh, uh, that's why many technology firm has been looking at the smart city as a very promising area for developing application scenario for their on-shelf technologies. Uh, so that's uh, that. And also I would say talking about difference, um, I feel that's um, maybe uh, a way that cities around the world may share that is that user in different cities because they have a different cultural and social economic development. So their user interface and the behavior is very different when you design an application for a specific city. That creates one of the biggest challenges for the business model is the scaling up, right? We know Tencent and uh, Alibaba has developed a handful of smart city in like a, a couple of Chinese cities, but they're still in their way to develop a meaningful business model, meaning that it's scalable, right? We're talking about internet of service and internet of cities. Right now, China is talking about, oh, why we spend, every city spend millions of dollars on this digital infrastructure and then which get outdated in 10 years, it doesn't work 
anything, right? Why we do that? So can we have a better coordination system? So that comes a unique maybe character of Chinese city or Chinese uh, uh, administration is really the, the very intimate public-private partnership uh, is that uh, I feel the top down and the bottom up need to meet because innovation is more about the grassroots bottom up, but you need a central coordinator, a very strong coordinator, or we call central planner to put the moving pieces together um, to, to balance out. So it's kind of the market mechanism with a coordination mechanism, uh, like we see in many other new planned city that China has been um, pretty successful. Um, like in, in laying out the phases, right? How to anchor the key players and slowly building an ecosystem that eventually will self-sustain themselves. It needed initial very huge public investment, but eventually hope it we build a, a system that the, that they can uh, like continue develop innovation and the business will thrive. Mm -hmm. So, you know, both of you talk about, um, you know, there's the infrastructure layer, there's the application layer, and then there's the institutional layer. And then Sarah, I think I really enjoyed your point about how, um, you know, the traditional infrastructure and the quote unquote technology driven smart infrastructure uh, or smart technologies may intersect. So we know that in North America, especially in the United States, um, traditional or conventional infrastructure is in dire conditions, right? You know, if you look at the, the proposed bill, uh, one billion plus bill to um, invest in infrastructure, how do you see, Sarah, that the traditional infrastructure really intersects with smart city applications? You know, can you really uh, build smart cities, right? And when your traditional infrastructure is so uh, outdated, uh, what are some of the uh, connectivity issues uh, and other issues that you can uh, imagine? Yeah, it's a good, really good question. Um, I would say, you know, just like any in any innovation project, you're really looking at can you leapfrog uh, in terms of not being able to have to um, go only with the current infrastructure. Um, but I think, I think the other thing that we have to look at is we've got some really uh, great uh, infrastructure capabilities in our private, in private companies that aren't yet making their way into some of these smart city uh, infrastructure. When we think about the infrastructure here, I'm very much specifically thinking about like the, um, the, the cloud and data governance and data management of the smart city, which is really the backbone of the driving the use cases from a smart city perspective. And we, like I'd say, arguably, we've got like some of the world's best cloud companies uh, in, in, in uh, coming out of the US, right? Um, so, you know, a lot of, a lot of what I could see is, you know, again, private public partnership, I think is really important here. I think if we can, if we can leapfrog by, uh, uh, you know, some of the hesitation, let's say, about having data flowing into data platforms that I just kind of mentioned around the cloud platforms, you know, how do we basically create secure environments but reuse that technology, um, and you know, have 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 basically solved the challenge that we have in North America around people not adopting technology because of concerns around data privacy and data security. So I think that's a major one. I don't know how much of that is actually like infrastructure related versus you know the need for things like regulations and others. But I think we, we should think about how we can leapfrog, uh, leapfrog over what we currently have as aging infrastructure. I think um, I, I do think smart cities uh, can exist even when we've got infrastructure that, you know, may be degrading over time. Um, yeah, it's really around the vision for the future, right? Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, I probably threw you a curveball, but your no. point earlier about the capacity of cloud 
computing and cloud uh, storage and so on and so forth. And North America really speaks to perhaps um, you know, that advantage that we have uh, in North America. Then to both of you then, you both seem to indicate that um, smart cities or smart technologies perhaps can uh, provide us with more agility, right? And, and you, I think Zheng Zheng, you talked about you know, not being outdated sort of in the sense of infrastructure. So if we think about that feature, the current pandemic is an unprecedented challenge, right? And so maybe we can reflect a little bit on how the current pandemic may have influenced or may not have influenced the development of smart city applications or projects. Talking about the pandemic, I feel uh, it's pretty amazing that uh, when China shut down nationwide last uh, February, like the lifeline of every citizen is kind of the devices you have in your pocket, right? The smartphone, like WeChat. That's really the, the thing that you communicate with friends and family, that you order your food, that you get your uh, health code when the nation opening up. So in a way, I feel this when we talk about infrastructure, I feel smartphone and mobile technology in a way has been a critical modern smart city infrastructure that we have been uh, developing on. And I also impressed by the Chinese technology firm was being able to react in hours, not days, when China has get into this um, situation about the the pandemic and has been developing platform like a system to react to this. So we have been talking about resiliency city for years. I guess the pandemic really um, like reactivate the discussion as well as the, the, the potential business area to build a resilient city system. Um, so I think that's um, to me um, it is really um, like important. Yeah, I think I think we really saw some great accelerated new use cases come into play. Like when we look at, because because part of what happened with COVID is it really changed the mobility patterns. Like even within a within a city, for instance, right? And so the fact that we did have um, people connected and you know a lot of good data exchange already happening really did enable I think some of the resiliencing a resilience that you were just describing um, also we saw things like like mass surveillance of like disease trends and we used a lot of different um, sensing technologies like te uh, temperature sensing and you know proximity sensors and a whole bunch of other things uh, as well when we get into things like monitoring the the air um, like uh, uh, air sensors for instance or wastewater sensors um, around like you know being able to even look into wastewater and then what how how bad is the pandemic based on what's in the wastewater, right? Like those are really great applications of that kind of came out as part of the of COVID. I think the interesting thing too about COVID is um, I, I think now what we'll see is like additional opportunity because I think it did accelerate some of the technology trends that were already happening around things like remote workforce and you know being able to connect from anywhere obviously a lot more uh, kind of mobility into enterprises but also I think what will happen is because we've seen some of these use cases become really like viable we could start to see, and, the, and there is predictions out there that we'll see a lot more spending opening up after COVID in these type of smart city applications. So I think like things like telemedicine and long-term like city asset tracking, and you know, those will benefit actually from like seeing some of these, these good wins from the, from the COVID um, crisis. Um, and, I, and I think the other thing is we will start to see a, some more like rather than just monitoring more simulation and predictive, like so thought of what could happen, what do we do? And so there'll be a lot more predictive modeling on the data around, okay, in these scenarios, what should we do? 
um, and scenario planning and other things will also kind of come into play as well, I think more in, in the smart city space. So you both then speak to the fact that smart city applications and projects in the end are serving the needs of users, right? And particularly uh, residents and diverse groups of population in cities, right? As city, you know, really are becoming the majority of habitats for the world's population. So can you also then speak a little bit uh, about how the needs of users and citizens uh, are considered in some are considered in some of the applications or projects that you know of, in terms of choices of platform or choices of technology, or even how you price right the application uh, to be accessible to people of different uh, needs. I think here, if we use kind of the business protocol to separate say B2G, like a business to government uh, sale and the B2C business to customer sale that we, I, I feel in general, like there are these two kind of category B2G uh, is like to direct to government. It is more for the public benefits, right? But it's also for the user, for example, this uh, AI enabled IOT devices for criminal tracking, right, for the, street patrolling, for uh, jaywalk, um, for the vehicle uh, control, traffic control on this, uh, based on the computer vision. This is really for the basic function of a city in terms of providing a safe, uh, uh, and, uh, a safe and a secure urban environment. Uh, and for the, the user, focused, then there's a, a, a lot. Maybe we, we don't even consider they are like smart city. Like in China, we have these uh, so many app like for the travel guide and for for your uh, for the e-commerce for example that that's also in a way very quick and the uh, uber lyft right they are not really considered as smart city but they are the, the very critical ride sharing um, platform that we use for our daily life so i feel in this way it's really um interesting like if the the company probably should develop um, more like B2G kind of application scenario to save the fundamental needs as well as um, like to commercial, um, like a use uh, to solve a commercial and value proposition that will be um, critical for them to grow in the, the smart city sector. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think it's, I think it's really interesting because because it is such a complex environment and you are dealing with kind of the public uh, as well as you know private companies that are part of this and I think there there is an opportunity uh, and I think we've all heard about it around um, this uh, let's say technology is does not necessarily work for every population. Some technologies don't, right? In North America, as an example, we're also like, we have a much, especially by 2030, we'll have a much older population than China does um, that have maybe less digital literacy skills and other things as well. Um, so there, there will be some challenges here to basically how do we make sure that we're not developing a like even more disparity uh, in the population based on like different services. And we've, I mean, uh, I think ways of doing that, there's already some things popping up here where um, different cities are having ad different advisory councils, which I think in my perspective is a really great idea to involve like more groups during the planning process of certain things to make sure that you're doing things like inclusive design and others. Um, so. I think this, this will be another interesting piece is basically how do we bring all citizens of a city together and offer, um, uh, offer services that really are, are um, from a public perspective, everybody has the right to access the same services. So, but how do you get access, for instance, if you don't have the technology to access or the digital literacy skills in order to do that? Um, so, you know, this will be actually a really interesting problem and challenge for, 
for people to solve, but also an opportunity for business and for the public sector to get it right as well. Yeah, just actually thinking about both of your remarks, I can remember going to China about two years ago, all of a sudden I realized the cars were stopping for pedestrians across the pedestrian walks because the cameras were recording, but because I don't have a local bank account, I can't hail a cab because I don't have the apps, right? So really, you know, the, the multiplicity of both the pros and cons of using um, smart city applications uh, it is quite interesting. So Sarah, I want to continue to build on your point of, um, uh, you know, considering the needs of different uh, groups and let's even scale it up to think about uh, you know, the best thing, of course, with digital tech and uh, data is the portability of the data. However, we do have these interoperability issues across cities, right, across sectors and across platforms. Um, maybe you can help us um, think a little bit about what approaches have been taken to address these uh, interoperability issues. Yeah, this is, it is a huge challenge, <laughs> and uh, and of course any challenge has an opportunity in, from a business perspective, but also from a you know society perspective. Um, I think first of all, there's the you know basically the sharing of data, and how do you share that data in a way that's accessible um, and accessible, like even from a city planning perspective, you know there's different groups within each city, um, and you know what what information is flowing from the traffic system, for instance, in, the, in, in that group of government could be very helpful to the, uh, let's say the health, uh, the health agency within a, within a city. Um, you know, how to access that data in a, in a, in a way that makes sense. So, and, and there is already good uh, ways of doing this to basically define APIs for sharing data that are very much, you know, accessible, and also that, you know, all the prerequisites are there in terms of um, maintaining people's privacy and taking out personal identifiable information, for instance. Um, so, I mean, beyond the interoperability of the system, there's the sharing of data, which is actually going to enable a lot of the innovation. Um, and how and how does that get shared and with who? And who gets to consent to their data being shared and other things are some are some uh, some key backbone questions um, in terms of how this all gets enabled. Um, I think the other thing is that the the way that we some of this can benefit more people is some is somehow showing the benefit because the value here really is in the data. So showing what the benefit of sharing as a person, your data into an application or into the smart city is sometimes comes off as very abstract, right? All oh, people are just taking my data. I don't know where it's going. So making that very transparent, I think will be something that will be very helpful and also monetizable and maybe even monetizable by the, by the consumer that's actually generating the data. Um, so, you know, I just thrown out some different ideas in there. Um, I do think the, there's a lot of value here in platforms too, because what we don't want to have is every city creating their own brand new platform from scratch that um, basically needs all of the same components as the city next to them with just a little bit of modification, right? Um, and the cost of that is huge. So from an infrastructure perspective, um, you know, you want something that is updatable over time, uh, where if it's not really differentiating your city, then you shouldn't have, you should be able to buy a platform that basically gets you started. That'll also reduce the, or let's say, reduce the need for complex uh, integrations between cities, because then you have this interoperability because everybody's using some kind of baseline platform. Um, so, you know, maybe that's too simplistic of a view, but just very much like in the smartphone space, right? Well, we all have a lot like kind of standardized on two platforms between Android and iOS. It's very easy then for everybody to participate in one of those two systems rather than having every OEM manufacturing have their own operating system, their own app store, their own um, side so that 
basically then you're just looking for differentiation on 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 um, in the apps app space for instance so i think i think getting to like a streamlined platform would really help and realize a lot more value globally because um, the other thing is globally and i kind of touched on this a little bit earlier but a lot of the initiatives are global in terms of wanting to reduce CO2 emissions or energy constraints. Those are not just like for one specific city. So, um, you know, being able to like have platforms that span multiple cities or your entire your entire region makes makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can certainly I I totally agree with you, Sarah, about the sharing part that. Um, I know lots of planning students are greatly benefiting from the open APIs from New York City, like 311 calls, and to really help them understand cities and to do more predictive um, research into, say, waste or you know traffic. Um, I do have lots of other questions, but as promised, we should probably open up to the audience. And so I now have, I would encourage the audience to type in your questions in the Q&A. Uh, Bob, I now have at least two questions. And I think first, probably more to Junjun, that do you believe that smart cities, including smart homes, uh, represent a great business opportunity for major traditional telecom providers anywhere in the world? Um, this is, I think, from Miguel, a question. Smartphone, uh, a lot of real estate developer, uh, I know Country Garden Evergrande, China's two leading residential developer have been partner with uh, Microsoft or uh, another firm like Baidu has been developing the smart city IoT area. For the traditional telecom uh, firm on that aspect, I think I think I have, rem- uh, I remember seeing the news of uh, Xiaomi uh, is partner, uh, potentially will partner with uh, Qualcomm uh, in to enter like a potential, because we know Xiaomi is, uh, is over the years has expanding its original smartphone sector to smart, like IoT, they, they have been building a very successful IoT smart home ecosystem over the years to sustain its growth. Uh, and uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and it seems that there's opportunity for the telecom or uh, like tradition, more traditional ICT firm to, uh, to collaborate with more like a application focused uh, t- technology companies uh, because this ecosystem has so many, um, it's such a complicated system. It's just impossible for one company to uh, to tackle all the value chain by themselves. So it's going to be involved many players and the stakeholders for sure. Mm-hmm. Thank you, um, Jungjun. And the next question, I think it goes back a little bit to my f- earlier question about traditional infrastructure. This is from Yuki Sun Reynolds. How long would it take to retrofit traditional infrastructure to connect with smart infrastructure and then keep up with technical upgrades? Are planners talking about whether that retrofitting will be the financial responsibility of homeowners and business owners, or would we follow the model of the smartphone and completely abandon traditional infrastructure? So either of you or both of you. I, I feel like uh, in China, when we see the past 10 years in, because we see it's a mobile technology area, China was being able to leapfrog in technology adoption Weiping, uh, we have been talking about this AI-enabled waste system uh, that uh, Shanghai and launched like two years ago in 2019. Up to that point, Shanghai or any other city in China, we don't even have a waste classification system, and yet they leapfrogged to an AI trash bin. So I feel I think here we may uh, want to differentiate the traditional infrastructure. For those who have been really underdeveloped, maybe it's a good thing that they can advance themselves to a much newer generation because they are in the phase to uh, reinvest, to modernize their infrastructure. Anyway, this is more like a um, challenge is probably more like in the newer infrastructure is just not economic viable. I think the technology is there. 
um, the ecosystem, it takes time to develop. We know, like NMIT, we always say from uh, technology, from its invention to impact, the average time is 20 years, right? So I feel it's just, uh, uh, well, it will take time for the industry to, um, to gradually lower the cost and also the, the, the consumer uh, need a time to, to, to adopt this technology. Yeah, so maybe in the interest of time, um, Sarah, there's a question specifically for you uh, from Paul. You mentioned operating systems, Android and iOS. Uh, is BlackBerry's initiative to utilize QNX as a RTOS? You probably need to explain all of this for everybody for your smart city offering. And would it look like something similar to BlackBerry's IV platform partnership with AWS? I don't even know what those mean. Yeah, so, yeah sure, I can explain a little bit. So um, BlackBerry has a real-time operating system, which is the RTOS, um, and it's called QNX. And it's a safety certified real-time operating system for mission critical, safety critical systems. And so some advantages of it is it's much, much more difficult from a cybersecurity perspective, for instance, it's a highly secure environment. Um, and so things like uh, vehicle systems, um, general embedded systems that have, uh, you know, power plants, others are, are have um, QNX embedded in some of those systems to ensure the safety of the system. Um, and so, um, yeah, uh, would we use this in smart city offering? Absolutely, because essentially what, going back to my earliest points around cybersecurity here, the, let's say the endpoint in a smart city, if it gets compromised, let's say someone is able to compromise um, a video feed of a traffic camera and, and, and be able to show maybe that there's a traffic accident when there isn't. Okay, and that's blowing up into the smart city data. And then somebody's responding to that and taking an action. Well, somebody has hacked that you know, video system. So we've essentially wanna make sure that every endpoint in the system is secure. Uh, from the start. And that's what like a real-time operating system like QNX can bring to it. And then you would add additional cybersecurity capabilities on top to, okay, ma make sure that you're always able to essentially uh, predict, uh, protect your endpoint by predicting if some software that's being added to that endpoint is malicious, but then also be able to detect if somebody has found their way in, how do I protect a, uh, detect that and then respond to it automatically. Um, and then, you know, basically how do I um, um, ensure that the, the integrity of that endpoint stays there? And here it's really important because in a, in a smart city, you're really relying on that endpoint to be the data collector. Um, and then you are sending all that information, hopefully through secure communication channels up into the cloud that then is, is secured as well. So absolutely, we, would, we are currently using QNX uh, within, I think, about half a billion endpoints globally um, to secure the endpoint. Um, in terms of the last part of the question, BlackBerry Ivy. So um, BlackBerry recently announced a partnership with the AWS which is in, uh, where we're co-developing and creating an in-vehicle uh, data platform. And what it does is essentially takes all the information from uh, a vehicle sensors and many different sensors, abstracts that data, and then creates a platform for people to develop uh, applications for use. Um, and that could include smart city applications. So I'll, I'll leave that there, both, uh, like QNX and Ivy would be uh, absolutely part of a smart city uh, discussion. Yeah, speaking of partnership, let me um, pose one last question to both of you. Maybe you can briefly talk a little bit about ideally uh, what you think are some productive ways for Chinese and American firms and cities to work together in advancing smart city technology and practice. Sarah, after you. Yeah. Um, I, I think we already are. So in, in a way, like a lot of the, a lot of the um, 
different technologies that we just discussed have components of things that are built in in North America and things that are built in China. So um, I think there's already a lot of collaboration happening. And yeah, we should just continue. <laughs> I, I kind of feel like Chinese firm may have a uh, like a better ecosystem to develop more application scenario is just a challenge of Chinese cities, the complicated condition we need to deal with. And overall, like the culturally, um, the Chinese city is like maybe more tolerant in terms of the privacy compared to a Western culture. Uh, so I, 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 would, I won't be surprised to see at application level the Chinese firm versus like a platform or infrastructure Western uh, US firm to collaborate. Again, I, I feel there's a, a rich opportunity for, for firms from those countries to, to innovate and collaborate together. Thank you both very much. And also thanks to the audience for your questions and dialing in. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you both. I just want to thank you both, all three of you, for a really interesting conversation. It's been a terrific discussion. And I also just want to thank BlackBerry again um, for its sponsorship for this program. And please, for the audience, uh, keep uh, looking to the National Committee for future um, programs on technological development between China and the United States. And with that, thank you and have a very good afternoon. Thanks again. For more interviews, videos, and links to events like this one, visit us at www.ncuscr.org.